Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, my name is Matt Ortiz, if you don't know me. And uh, if this is your first time here, please um, stick around and int- introduce yourself to me when we're done here. I'd love to get to know you. To bring you up to speed, um, we finished our uh, fall series from the Old Testament. And we're getting ready to start our winter-spring series in uh, the Gospels. And um, uh, between the two series, we're doing a couple of messages on church life. Every now and then, we throw in some church life uh, messages between series just to uh, take advantage of whatever God might be doing uh, in, the, in the present time. And uh, here's, here's the deal. Uh, if you've been with us for the last couple years, three and a half years or so, you know that God has brought us a long way, amen? Man, it has been a rough, uh, it's been a rough uh, few years, but good, really good. God has been shaping us and molding us, and, and to see everybody stick together as church family, uh, and to be committed and, and loyal and trust God and, and be a community of grace, uh, it has brought us to the point where we're starting to see fruit of that as we wrap up 2015 and begin 2016. God has been shaping our church in incredible ways, and I got to tell you, it is so encouraging for me personally to watch. God, I I see he has been shaping us uh, to be a church that loves God, that loves each other, and not just loves God, and not just love each other, but also our community, our city, to be a church that's in the city and for the city, to be a missionary church that, that shares the grace and truth and love of, of King Jesus, not as a bunch of individuals, but collectively, together, as a family. And yes, if you've been with us, you know that it requires sacrifice and work and time and financial generosity and prayer and patience. And also, you've noticed that it requires a willingness to get out of our comfort zone because we're not living for ourselves. We're dying to self, living for God and living for our brothers and sisters and living for the people in our community. And it's not always easy to get out of our comfort zone. But guess what? That's why Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit, also known as the Comforter. Right? So if you're out of your comfort zone, if it feels kind of difficult or, or rough, that's not necessarily a bad thing. God uses it to grow us, to become more like Christ, who got out of his comfort zone for you and for me. Okay, so it may be tough, but you know what else happens? It creates a, a, a deep joy and a camaraderie that, that can only come from, from being in the trenches together as, as a band of brothers and, and sisters with with a common cause. And I, there are many examples that I can point to, especially over this last year. But most recently, I think about our, our Christmas Eve service and, and how during Christmas Eve, so many of you who have been loving your neighbors and talking uh, to them and encouraging them, befriending them, you brought them to our Christmas Eve service and we had to bring out extra chairs. We packed it out and, and overflow into the cafe, standing room only, and the gospel was proclaimed. And, and among the people who served, and there were so many people who served, there was this excitement, even though it was difficult. I mean, 
If you talk to, to Josh and Jeremy, I mean, they were going out of their minds with so much stress. I thought their heads were going to pop. But they pulled it off, and afterwards, they were just all smiles because we knew that, that God got everybody to work together to put us in a place to be the church and proclaim the good news. So together, we live out our king's call on our lives to advance his kingdom of grace. That's what we are about. And we do it even when things are difficult, even when things are frustrating. And then we uh, have this camaraderie, this shared experience of, of victories and, and struggles. And, and uh, we become a tight family and invite anybody and everybody to become a part of it. I'm loving this. <laughs> I am absolutely loving this. So it's especially important to always remember while, why we are here. And we have said it several different ways, and there are other ways that you can say it. But one of the ways that, that we've said it here is that Infusion Church is all about leading people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. So that is leading people to Jesus, but not just leaving them, leaving them there and say, good luck with you and Jesus. We're also walking with them through their life-changing relationship because God uses us in that. And it's not just that person and God. It's not just you and God. It's all of us together as a family, leading people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. Now, here's the thing. We will always be growing in this. We will always be growing in this. We will always be growing as a church of disciples making disciples. And here's the deal. I, I'm telling you, if your life is truly focused on who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we can count on it that we will grow in this and that we will become a force of grace in this city that points people to Jesus. That's just what happens. That is the power of the gospel. And I got to tell you, my, my heart just wants to explode every time I, I see a Christian wake up to God's call on their life. And, and by the way they start living, they start saying, you know what? Follow me as I follow Christ. In all humility, follow me as I follow Christ. And I will be involved. And I will help set the pace. You can count on me. And so my question for you this morning is, uh, as you quietly examine your own heart, your own heart, uh, uh, your own head, your own life, I, I want you to think about the time that we are in right now, and then maybe do a little time traveling in the future, and I, I want to know, will you look back on these days and say, you know what, I was a part of that. I mean, one day in the future, when we tell stories of, of what God was doing in this time, and, and you remember uh, how you were right in the middle of it, will you be able to look back and say, you know, experiencing and contributing to that community of, of, of grace when God was shaping our church family, that changed my life. That changed my relationship with God. I mean, we lived in the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel like never before because we had no choice, even when it was frustrating. I see now as I look back on it that Christ was becoming more real to me. I had to depend on him more, and I wouldn't exchange those days with those people for anything. You know what? This is what God's calling us to be. And... God tells us in his word, that is normal for the Christian life. That's normal. 
So today we're looking at Romans 12, and it's probably one of the best sum summaries of church life, of the Christian life that you'll find in the Bible. And the first point, if you're taking notes using insert in the bulletin, the first point that we see in this text is that the gospel calls us to offer ourselves fully to God. Paul says in, in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, with the word therefore... What Paul is doing is he is connecting what he's about to say with everything he has said in the previous chapters. He's been talking in the previous chapters about the gospel, that each and every one of us, apart from Christ, we are far more lost than, than we ever, ever imagined. But at the same time, because of Christ, we're far more loved than we ever dared to dream. And now Paul says, because of that, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, Paul, when he, when he writes this here, he is deliberately using temple language. And it's the picture of, of a worshiper. Uh, 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 it is a worship, bringing a whole burnt offering. And this offering was always totally burned. It was a picture of total consecration and commitment to God. And then Paul adds, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I, I want to point out a couple of critical truths here when it comes to this text. The first one is this. Belief in the gospel, belief in who Jesus is and what he has done for you and for me, belief in the gospel calls for total loyalty to God. Complete and total loyalty to God. You see that in the way that Paul says, Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercies to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. But you also see it when he adds, This is your spiritual, spiritual act of worship. And that word spiritual can be translated into rational or reasonable. It's where we get our word logic from. Paul says, In light of God's amazing mercy, in light of Jesus' sacrifice for you on the cross and his resurrection to pay for our sin, to make us right with God and give us a new life in him that is far better than we can ever imagine for all eternity. In light of all of those mercies, offering yourself totally to God is the only logical thing to do. Do you see that? It is... In light of everything that God has done for us, it is the only offering, your, offering yourselves as, as a uh, living sacrifice. It's, it's the only thing that makes any sense at all. And anything less than putting all that you are and all that you have at the disposal of God is irrational and doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add up. See, I have to, I always, just, just so there's no misunderstanding here, um, you need to know I always, I always have to examine my own heart. I always have to examine my own loyalty to King Jesus and, and to his family. And, and I am not perfect. My heart's still full of sin. And so what I need to do is I need to make sure that I'm modeling repentance and faith, right? And I need to examine my heart and look for the times when I have half-hearted loyalty to God. And when I, in those times when I'm having half-hearted loyalty to God, I need to know that it's because I'm not thinking. I'm not being rational. I'm not thinking about who Jesus is and what he has done for me. 
And so for me in those times to say that I believe the gospel, to say that I'm a Christian and then fail to give myself totally to God, it's not just a moral failure, it is, but it's also an intellectual failure. So I need to think. How can I say that I believe that I believe that on the cross Jesus gave himself for me without giving my life and everything I am to him? Do you see what I'm saying? And then the second thing is loyalty to God calls for full loyalty, complete loyalty, total loyalty to his family. Paul says, if you noticed how he was writing here and how he speaks, he says, Present your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. Okay? You know what Paul's doing here when he uses that language? Present your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. He is challenging our good old American rugged individualism. We value that. But he challenges it with the Bible's emphasis on interdependent community, viewing yourselves as a part of a family where people are dependent on each other. He says, I urge all of you to present your bodies together as one living sacrifice. So what's the point? The point is this. You cannot separate your loyalty to God from loyalty to, your, to God's family. You can't do it. In fact, one of the ways that you express your loyalty to God is to be loyal to God's family. That's how he designed it. And i got to tell you, I am so encouraged as I see this being played out. I experience this as, as we work together and as we encourage each other and pray for each other and confess our sin to each other and hang out with each other and forgive each other and help each other. God is growing us in our love for Jesus and our love for one another. And the two are absolutely inseparable. You cannot say, Jesus, I love you, but not so much your bride, the church. So let's apply this. My question is, you examine your heart and your lives. My question is, have you believed the gospel? Have you realized that, that apart from Christ, you're far more lost than you ever dared to imagine, but because of Christ, you are far more loved by the creator of the, the universe than you ever dared to imagine, than you ever dared to dream? Now, for those of you, if you're not there yet, if you haven't, you know, trusted the gospel, if you haven't trusted Jesus yet, if you're not following Jesus yet, I, I want to tell you that I am absolutely glad that you're here. And I don't want you, as of a result of my message this morning, for you to feel any unnecessary pressure to be involved in the church. You are more than welcome to be involved in the life of the church as much as, as, much as you feel comfortable. And I would like to encourage you maybe even to challenge your, your comfort zone to so you can have the new experience and find out more about what we're all about. But the most important thing for you is this. The most important thing is for you to learn about Jesus. That's the most important thing. That's what you need to learn first and foremost. And I think that this message helps you get to know him better by understanding what, what God wants for his family. Now, for those of you who have believed the gospel, who have trusted Jesus for who he is and what he's done. Let me ask you this. Just examine your, your own heart. Examine your, your own life, your own attitude. My question for you right here, right now, is 
are you loyal to God? Whether you're rich or poor, busy or not, healthy or not, it's going to look different from person to person depending on, on the cards that you're holding. But if we aren't loyal in whatever circumstances that we find ourselves in, if there's no passion for loving, no passion for serving, no passion uh, for giving to God in whatever capacity, great or small, then we're not thinking. Do you see that? And if we continue in a, in a, if a half-heartedness in our loyalty, we need to really honestly ask ourselves the question, have I really believed? That's important. If you are loyal to God, you'll know it because you will also be loyal to God's family. You'll be loyal to his community. You'll be loyal to his, to his people. And notice Paul says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Now, I've asked you this before when I've used this, this passage, this verse, in another time I, that I preached. Do you remember what the problem is with a living sacrifice? The problem with the living sacrifice is that it is constantly crawling off the altar, right? <laughs> Anything that's alive probably will. This means that we are constantly renewing our loyalty to God. So how do you do that? That's our second point. We constantly renew our loyalty to God by being transformed from the inside out. Paul says in, in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So this transformation is from the inside out because it's by the renewal of the mind. It's not just outward conformity to certain behaviors. It is an inner transformation of your motives, an inner transformation of your attitude, an inner transformation of your thinking, an inner transformation of the way that you view the world and people. And look at the result. Paul says that by testing you, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that means if our minds are renewed, then we will know and do the will of God. So, how? How? How are our minds renewed? Well, Paul doesn't get explicit here, but obviously it's important, right? I mean, it's how we grow as a Christian. Paul seems to imply, as we look at this, he seems to imply that mind renewal is the same thing as viewing God's mercies and rational worship. In other words, we renew our minds by thinking and dwelling and meditating upon who Jesus is and what he's done for us out of just sheer grace. It is the gospel that not only saves us, it is the gospel that also transforms us and makes us more like Jesus. I mean, we see this in, in the only other place Paul uses the word transformed in 2 Corinthians 3. He's talking about how we're transformed in the likeness of Jesus. And he says, do you remember when Moses went up the mountain and he saw the glory of God? And he came down and his, his face was, was glowing, it was transformed. He says that transformation was only outward and temporary because the, the glow faded. But he says, we are being transformed inwardly 
and increasingly into the Lord's likeness as we gaze upon the glory of God in the face of Jesus. This is how it happens. We're transformed inwardly and increasingly into the Lord's likeness as we gaze upon the glory of God in the face of Christ. So transformation continues the same way that it started by seeing Jesus in all of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation. By filling our minds with the truth about Jesus. By thinking about the glory of Jesus. By reflecting on, on the grace of Jesus. By responding in, in praise and gratitude and worship and loyalty. This is how our minds are renewed and how we change from the inside out. So, let me ask you another question this morning. Examine your own heart and your own life right here, right now. Reflect on... on are you being transformed? Ask yourself, am I being transformed? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Now, I'm not just talking about external change, right? I'm asking, are you experiencing mind renewal? Are you challenging, are you, or excuse me, are you changing in your thinking? Are you changing in your motives? Are you changing in your attitudes? Can you name one way that Jesus has changed you in the past three months? Uh, if you're like me, sometimes it's hard for us to see it ourselves, right? Maybe you went, oh, man, nothing comes to mind, <laughs> right? Can't think of anything. Your mind went blank. That's another reason why we need to be fully committed and involved in community, right? We grow best in interdependent community because we can encourage and help one another so Ask another brother or sister in Christ. Ask them today, after the message, have you seen any growth in my life in the past three months? And then ask them to, to pray for you and encourage you. Or maybe you need to go to another Christian brother and sister and encourage them and say, you know what, I just wanted to let you know that I have seen some specific ways in which I see you growing and it's been an encouragement to me and because of the way that you're growing, you're helping me see Jesus. Do you know what that does for somebody? It totally strengthens their faith. It makes the gospel more real to them, God's kingdom more real to them. The gospel calls us as a community to continually commit ourselves to God. How? By mind, by mind renewal. So, can I get more specific than that? Yes, I can. Paul says that this includes thinking clearly about yourself. Paul says in, in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Here's what I've noticed in my life, and I see it in other people's lives too because I think it's only human nature, is left to yourself without being like fully immersed in, in community and part of a, a family, left to yourself you will either think that you're worthy and better than everybody else, 
or you'll think that you're worthless. Both destroy interdependent community. You need to know there's a difference between being unworthy and being worthless. A very significant. We may be unworthy. That does not mean that we're worthless. Okay? Whether you think you are worthy or not, or, or worthless, rather, both destroy interdependent community. If you think too highly of yourself, you will think that you won't need others. And the people around you will be able to tell you if you think too highly of yourself or not. If you think you're worthless, then you will think that others don't need you. That is a lie. That's a lie. Paul says, instead, think soberly. That is the opposite of drunkenness. It means thinking uh, that is in touch with, with reality, defined by God and what he tells us in his, in his word, a uh, reality that's clear and accurate. Paul gives us two things that give us an accurate, accurate view of ourselves. Okay, two things. He says, think each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, Paul is giving us two truths that are absolutely essential for shaping an accurate understanding of ourselves and a vital community church family life. First, in, in one sense, in one sense, Paul is saying, we're all the same. In one sense, we are all the same. Paul says, think according to the measure of faith that God has given you. Now, here's, there's a temptation to think when he says, think according to the measure of faith God has given to you, to think that he's talking about the amount of faith that God has given to you. That is not it. That's not it. Paul wouldn't say, you know what? Your opinion of yourself should be shaped by the amount of faith that you have. If you have a, a lot of faith, you're awesome. If, if your faith is struggling, you're a loser. Paul wouldn't say that. That's not consistent with the scriptures. By measure, he means standard of measurement, like, like, like uh, the yardstick of our faith, okay? In other words, God has given each of you a saving faith in our crucified Savior, and that is how you should evaluate yourself. You know what that does? I think that that brings humility to the arrogant and gives confidence to those who are just, just, are just insecure and destroyed. Regardless of your education, regardless of, of your screw-ups, regardless of your position in society, regardless of your abilities, or regardless of your, your weakness, regardless of, of your addictions, regardless of whatever it is that is going on in your, your life, every single person is saved through Jesus Christ by his grace alone. And as a result, our Heavenly Father loves each of us equally in Christ. That means God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't have favorites. We're all the same in Jesus. So 
So you're not loved more than your brother and sister in Christ. You're not loved less than your brother and sister in Christ. That's just reality regardless of how you feel about it. But second, in another sense, we're all very different, aren't we? We're all very different. Paul says, each of you have different gifts. Each of you have different abilities. Each of you have different experiences. And, and, and here's the thing. He says, just like your body, your eyes do their job. Their see. The stomach does its job. It digests food. And your spleen does whatever it is a spleen does. And I have no idea what spleens do. They all have different jobs. So in the body of Christ, each of us have different abilities, different uh, gifts, and, and different functions and experiences. And you know what? That is a good thing. That's the way that God designed it. Each of us have been made and shaped by God with unique personalities and abilities and experiences that enable us to do certain good works that God has prepared for you to do. And he prepared those opportunities He thought of those opportunities. He predestined those opportunities even before he created the heavens and the earth. God has a role for you. Each puzzle piece in a picture looks different than the next. And when they're together, they fit together, make a beautiful picture. So we need you. We need you. My wife and her brother and sister would spend hours putting together like a thousand piece puzzle of this beautiful mountains and forests and little cabin or whatever. And without anybody noticing, her dad would like sneak one piece and put it in his pocket. (laughs) It'd be done and be missing one piece. And it was aggravating because the picture wasn't complete. Every piece is needed. Right? And every piece is unique. The church family needs you. So let's apply this. Do you have an accurate understanding of yourself? Do you tend to think that you're worthy and therefore better than other people? I'm telling you, if you're not sure, you should probably ask people who know you well and love you. They'll tell you. Or do you think that you're worthless? I'm telling you, maybe you should ask somebody else to get perspective on that as well. God wants to renew your mind so you know who you are. And how do I do that? Two ways. First and foremost, you soak in the gospel. You soak in in the truth of of the gospel of grace. And the more that the more that you see the gospel of grace and how much grace God has given to you, the more you see that we're all the same. That apart from Christ, we're all so lost that Jesus had to die for us. And because he did, now we are all equally loved by the Father. And then secondly, just get involved in ministry. Just get involved. I mean, God has, has equipped you to serve God's family in a unique way. I mean, find out what it is and do that with everything that is in you. Uh, you might join an official ministry team at our church, but, and that's great. We need all the help that we can get. But you can also serve in an unofficial capacity, right? Like uh, when, when Vicky broke her foot, she's still laid up. She's been laid up for a while now. She had 11 screws in her foot just to put it back together, right? She can't get around to easily. She can't put any pressure on that. 
And uh, so Kathy Chang has been going over there every single day, helping her out. Kathy Chang did not say, man, I wish I could help, but there's no helping people with the broken foot ministry, so, oh well. Good luck, Vicki. <laughs> right? No, she just started serving her. You don't, I, 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 I go, keep going back to this over and over and over again. I say it over and over and over again. You don't need an official ministry to love your brother and sister. You don't need an official church ministry to love your neighbor. I mean, we'll have them, but you don't need them to obey this and, and to live in response to this and, and to serve people and to encourage e each other. Man, when I, when I first planted my first church, I was 29, 30 years old, down by the board. I didn't know what I was doing and made all kinds of stupid mistakes, worse than the mistakes that I make now. And it was frustrating. And I don't mean to embarrass him, but my friend Jonathan Stein in the corner there, he was part of that, and he was one of the biggest encouragements to me uh, during that time when things were so frustrating. Um, he started his own official ministry of encouraging Matt and make sure he doesn't jump off a bridge. You know? And uh, I was blessed by that. I was encouraged by that. You don't need an official church ministry to just to serve. So, if you do need ideas, talk to me. Uh, talk to, to Joe John. He's not here right now. He's on vacation, but you'll know him. He's about this tall, shaved head, like giant muscles, tattoos and stuff, and he wants to help you get involved in, in ministry. Talk to Josh. Talk to Vicky. And you can get plugged in in official or unofficial capacity. That brings us to our last point. Paul says, the renewal of our minds involve thinking clearly about yourself and using your gifts to serve. Paul says in verse 5, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And by gifts, he means special abilities that God has given each believer in order to serve God's family. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And this, this raises the questions... The question, how do I know what my gifts are? Well, Paul gives us three clues. I'm going to wrap it up. He gives us three clues of how to discover our gifts. First, examine your life and your heart. Think soberly about yourself, deliberately. Do, what is it that you enjoy doing? What energizes you? What is your passion? What are your concerns? What burdens you? What do you do well? And when I do it, people are, are blessed. Examine your, your heart and, and life. This is what I did when I first started getting involved in, in ministry. I thought I'd try a little bit of everything in the church I was at. And um, I, I made the mistake of joining the ministry, the bus ministry that went around and picked up kids all over the neighborhood. And it took me five minutes for me to go, nope, this is not my ministry. <laughs> not, not for me. But you just kind of keep, you know, you just keep trying. You just keep going. I mean... Um, there's a guy here who's brand, brand spanking new. And uh, 
I, I came in here yesterday. He was vacuuming the chairs, the part that, that, that you sit on. And uh, I told him, I don't think that's ever been done here. And he just kind of laughed and shook his head. And I'm like, I didn't know you were supposed to do that. So he didn't, he didn't do it. And he didn't wait for anything. He just got involved and just started helping out. You may not know what your unique ministry is, but we all have family chores to do, don't we? I mean, we have all kinds of things that, that we need to do. So just get involved. That's how you discover it. Secondly, know the gifts. Verses 6 through 8 that, that we just read, that's just only a sample of the gifts. There are other lists included uh, that are in the scriptures, and there are, far, there are more. Find the passages of the Bible. Roll up your sleeves. Do a little homework. Find the passages that list this, the, the scriptures, that list the, the gifts, and read over them, pray over them, talk to your brother and sister about those, uh, the gifts that you, that you might have. And third, get involved. He says, if this gift is it, use it. If it's that, then use it. And you just usually find your ministry as you get involved. You look around, you see a need, you begin to help. Through trial and error, you begin to find how God has, has gifted you. And examine your heart and, and life. Know the gifts. Get involved. You don't need to be involved in official capacity. You can help us make people feel welcome here when they show up to, to the church. And, I mean, we might have an official greeter team, like with badges or whatever. But, look, we also need people who are just welcoming, who are not doing it because they're part of a, uh, an official team. That just needs to be part of the culture here. You know? You just look for a need and get involved. So let me be practical. Let me close in. Let me just say this. And we need you. We need your help. As we anticipate what God has for us in 2016, we need your help. If we're going to grow in our health as a church, uh, we need you to get involved officially and unofficially. Some of you have no idea that most people involved in ministry here wear three or four or five hats. They need help. And you know what I also discovered is that they're usually the ones who do the most financial giving as well. We need your help. If Infusion Church is your family, we need you uh, to, to have ownership, to be a stakeholder, to say, look, my, my church family can count on me to be a part of this and to contribute. In whatever capacity God has granted you by his grace, great or small, but that's your mindset. My church family can count on me. I know that I may be sick in bed because of some horrible disease, but I know that I can pray for my, my church family, my brothers and sisters, and let them know it. You're encouraging. That's being part of the, the, the body of Christ. And that's just as valuable. Prayer is undervalued in the church in America, I think. So there are many ways that, that you can do this. If Infusion Church is your family, we need you here consistently on, on Sundays to be a testimony to the goodness and glory of God in our worship. If Infusion Church is your family, we need you to be consistent to continue to be faithful in your generosity. If Infusion Church is your family, we need each other to live in community in such a way that others will see our love for each other and our love for God, our love for our community, our brothers and sisters, and our loyalty to our brothers and sisters and want to be a part of that. That's how God designed it. So if you're not ready to serve, we know that you could have very good reasons for, for that in our, in our faith. Um, 
genuinely enables us to respect your judgment and your priorities. And we're, we're glad to have you worshiping with us. And as you do, the gospel will enable you and challenge you to work hard and rest well. And if now is the time for you to get more involved and contribute, let us know. Let me know. Fill out a connection card and I'm just, just communicate to that to us. Just roll up your sleeves and get going as an act of worship. Not as a legalistic thing, but as a response to what God has done for you. So these verses are just one of the best summaries of church life. Paul says, if you believe the gospel, then the only logical thing to do is to be totally loyal to God and totally loyal to his family. And that involves ongoing gospel renewal of the mind, thinking clearly about yourself and then who Jesus is and what he's done, and then using your gifts to serve God and his family. It is the logical response of worship. The whole basis for all of this is the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. He offered, he offered his body as a sacrifice so that we could offer ours. And the more we think about the cross and God's generosity to us and all that means for us, the more we'll want to say thank you to God by living a generous life. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that we don't have to serve you out of fear or guilt. Thank you that, that because of your grace, we can serve you out of the freedom and gratitude that comes from the gospel. Of, it comes from Jesus liberating us, giving his life for us so that we can give you our lives. Father, thank you that, that you love us that you love us not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And God, we thank you for the cross. That because of Jesus' life and death for us, we are now and always right with you. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see Jesus. That you would open our eyes to see your great mercies that you have given to us. And may we offer ourselves up to you together as a living sacrifice. God, we pray that you would use us for your glory. We expect that you would use us for your glory. And God, we pray that you would enable us more and more to lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. We pray these things in your name.